everybody said. Yeah. Any of y'all that are in uh, the youth, they're ready to take you down right back there in the back. So anywhere from 6th grade to 12th grade. So glad you're here today. As you know, many times I've shared with you that I have um, reminders in my phone and I use them every day and they're checkpoints for me uh, to make sure that I'm covering all the bases of my spiritual disciplines as well as things that I need to get done. And for several years, I have been asking God for a move. And I'm asking him to move here in this church and asking him to move in my life. And I'd like that song we were just singing and, and asking him to... Early in my Christian walk, when I was just newly saved, I was 19 years old, a little over that, like close to 20 when I gave my life to Christ, and uh, I began to fall in love with the Word of God and read it, and I couldn't wait to read it. I read it on all the breaks at work, when I got home at night, in the mornings when I got up. I wanted to know God, and I wanted to know what He had to say. And as I read the, the book of Acts and I watched how God moved so powerfully when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and those who were following the truth of Jesus Christ and were living as disciples of Christ, and I saw that happening where entire cities were transformed and the Spirit of God moved and then there was that opposition of the enemy that came against it and how there was a spiritual conflict that happened in the cultures of the day. I was like, God, before I die, I want to see that. I want to see a move of God. And then I began to grow in my walk with him, and I studied church history. And I began to see that there was great awakenings that started in little places, and they always start with prayer and surrender. And God began to move, and he moved across our entire globe. There's two great awakenings that have been recorded. And when we're talking about great awakenings, we're talking about global moves of God where God transformed lives over and over in various places throughout the entire world, and it was always founded upon the declaration of Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world, people repenting of their sins and coming into relationship with God through Him. Every time that happened, there was a move of God. Now, there's been small moves of God in pockets of places around the, the world in different times, but I'm talking about a global move of God. And so as I began to research that stuff and look at it, it excited my heart. And I'm like, God, I want to be a part of that. I want to see that before I die. I want to be a part of something that you are doing. And so I have prayed since I was 19 years old until today, which has been just a couple years. And we're moving along with this thing. And I'm asking God, I want to see a move of God. And every once in a while in my prayer times, I'm like, hey, God, you know, um, I'm 60 now. In case you didn't know, you know. Uh, I don't have a lot of years left. I'd really like to see this happen. And so as I've been praying all this, I want you to know this is like so, so cool. I was praying just this week, and I was praying that prayer to him, not reminding him of my age. He already knows. I was talking to him about the move of God, and I was like, Lord, would you have a move in CFF? God, we need you. And he said, I am. <laughs> yeah I had sat back in my chair I'm like wait a minute That's I began to think that I was looking for something and I realized that as I had been praying for all these years that I began to have an expectation of God and what that move would look like 
And I was not, like, I'm not saying it was a sin or anything wrong. It's just kind of like what happens is we're looking for something and we begin to see how it should be, just like those in the church of old saw how the Messiah should look in their own mind and missed him. And so I was like, when he said, I am, I was like, well, I really was thinking it was something different, not in a bad way, but he reminded me of your obedience to the Holy Spirit. He showed me those of you that have been coming to the altar in response to his word. Those that are lifting up hands in praise and worship and celebrating the words that we are singing about our God. And as I was looking at all those things, I'm like, that's a move. That's a move of God where people are saying yes to you. That's what it's all about. It's saying yes to the creator of the universe, guys. It's not like something that we're going to put measurements upon or see. And those great awakenings that were taking place in history, they didn't know there was a great awakening taking place in history. It wasn't until after it happened that people wrote about what God did. So I want you to know God's doing something. Open up your eyes and let the Spirit of God reveal what he is doing and what he is about. Now, you may think it looks crazy. Now, nothing's working in the right direction for you personally. God's moving. Just relax. Seriously, chill out. We get all uptight about stuff, and we have these expectations of God, and we put them on our calendar and our time and our reminders, and we tell him, like, here's the deal. And God knows. He's so amazing. He's so amazing. Now, my, my tech team that gets my notes Sunday mornings at 630 um, and they've got to put them in the computer and get them up here for you. They're an awesome team. I just want you to know that because, yeah. Uh, they've been dealing with me. I just, I'm just trying to help them. You know, with the, God's word says always be ready. And, you know, so I'm trying to help them to be ready in the moment. So it's uh, one of my gifts that it's always the last minute, but that's who God is and what he does. And so I'm just going to share this with you that, I know they're nervous because I've been talking a little bit, a little while already, and I haven't started my notes, and I think I have like 19 slides, and I usually have 12. Now the rest of y'all are nervous, I know. <laughs> if you have lunch reservations, you might want to... <clears throat> anyway, no, I'm kidding. So... <laughs> I'm so excited. Let's do this, man. We read this verse last week as God was speaking. It's right here in Romans 5. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Now, in the 11 o'clock service last week, I, God had me say something that I didn't say to you about the, the tabernacle, the holy place, and all of that. And after the service, God just kept like stirring my heart about this. And so I was reading through and praying, and here we go. So let's, let's look at this for a minute. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. So we're talking about pre-Jesus. The law, which is the Old Testament law of God, called the law of Moses because God gave it through Moses, which is covered in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the law of God is found in that section of Scripture. Actually, uh, Exodus is where it begins through Deuteronomy. Now, as we read this, 
we're looking now at the writings from after Jesus. And the writings that we're looking at is talking about pre right there to now, which is where we live. So this is what it says. God law was, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a good time for us to celebrate, for real. I mean, thank you, Jesus. If we were under the law, we'd be under a pile of rocks. Everyone in this room. All of us. See, many of the church uh, today have tried to bring various aspects of the law into this amazing new covenant that is grace. And you'll find it everywhere where people try and bring just certain sections of the law into Christianity. And when you read the epistles, you'll see that Paul was constantly fighting with that in the church as they're trying to adopt more than Jesus into the life of Christianity. Now, as we look at the scriptures, here's what we want to do. We're going to get a glimpse of God and we're going to get a glimpse of grace and we're going to find ourselves in this place of what God's going to do. I'll just leave it there and let's just look at it and see what he's doing. So what we need to understand is salvation, this grace that God gives is a gift we cannot earn. No question about that. But with it comes expectation from God just the same. And that's where we're struggling a little bit in the church is understanding that balance of living in grace and living grace. All right, so one of the other problems I've seen in the church is the lack of clarity on who God is. I mean, I mean, if you do this, you know, this is between you and God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but like people talk to about the man upstairs, uh, you know, the big guy, different kind of terminology like that, and it's like, we're talking about God here. He's not like some guy that you know, he's God. And really, I think the modern Christian church has like brought God down to our level because he said he'd be our friend. And so we don't see him any different than we do our friends. And so we'd rather like maybe rough his hair up or push him over or mess with him a little bit. And it's like, he's God. Okay. And what I've seen in Scripture, is anytime anyone comes into the presence of God, they are struck on their face. I mean, everybody, care who they are, from the most holy and righteous people that lived on the planet to the most evil people face down in the ground, because He is God. So many are careless with God's grace. And we've abused what we in the modern church have called grace, thinking there's no consequence for my living and my choosing. And so we're just like, oh, I'm all in on grace, and therefore I'm not really accountable for this that's around me. And the mess I'm making in my life because I'm making wrong choices when the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go there. And so we're like owning the grace part because what I want to hold on to in grace 
is I want to still hold on to me and my own decisions and what I want in life. And the truth of the matter is God's calling us to a surrendered, weren't we reading about it a little earlier in Romans there, the death of myself, that it's no longer about me, it's all about him, my life belongs to him because he gave his life for me. See, God requires a life for a life. That's Old Testament law, right? He said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And we look at that and like, Ooh, you know, that's pretty hefty. And God's like, yeah, I mean, I'm still God and I expect a life for a life. And some of us are trying to give him a tooth when he gave his life. So as we look in, uh, we kind of want to see God through the lens of the Old Testament law Many in the modern church, well, like Justin was just talking about it, we'd rather talk about all the blessings, the good things, and that we misinterpret blessings as everything in my life should be flowing well. My accounts should be settled. I should have the dream job. I should have the dream spouse and the house and everything that's good in my life. And if I don't, if I have some kind of health problem, then I'm just going to name it in Jesus' name and it's gone. You know, we, we've talked about that God. Now, I'm not telling that God doesn't exist because there's... God's grace does provide some of those things at times for some people. He does. But the problem is we just think that's for everybody. We're going to dump a bucket out on you and everything in your life is going to be amazing from now on. No, that's not the way it is. And if we would look at who God truly is in Scripture and see him through the lens of the Old Testament, when we see God's instructions to Moses about the tabernacle and the sacrificial system, his guidelines to the priesthood, God made it very clear that he is a God of detail. I mean, he is a God of detail to the point where you might fall asleep reading some of his details in the Old Testament. And you're like, why does this exist? Well, I'm, he's telling us the kinds of carvings that he put on the wall inside the Holy of Holies that only the priest would see one time a year and he'd never be looking at the walls. But God wanted those walls engraved and overlaid in gold. God did that. Okay? So, like, that's the kind of God we're talking about. That's the God we serve. So as we consider his detail, his requirements and his expectations, God made it very, very clear that he wanted everything done exactly as he gave it. No variables, no, well, you know, we don't have purple, so we're going to use blue. It's like, uh uh-uh. You follow me? All right, I'm saying God is very particular. That should make some of us nervous right now. So Aaron, who is Moses' brother, was chosen by God himself to be the first high priest in this religious organization that God created, which was very rigid religion. A lot of people don't like those words. God did it, and he established it, and he formed it, and he made it. So now... He was particular about how they dressed, how they acted, how they lived, and what they did, not just when they were serving. I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but look, two of Aaron's sons took their duties lightly, and they decided that they were going to do things a little different than what God had instructed. 
So they were supposed to bring incense before God, which we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. And, you know, they didn't have God's fire, so they just created their own, you know, like they just took a match or a lighter or whatever and just kind of torched it and said, well, it's fire, let's do this. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. All right, so you might want to rethink some of the stuff you're doing, just saying. No, I mean, seriously, think about this. Directly disobeying, but see, they were still doing, like carrying out what God actually said in their own ideas. They were still offering incense. They were still using fire. But God was so particular that he said, it's my fire, not yours. And so his fire burned them up. Let's keep reading now. Listen, this is amazing. Listen to what it says now. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Now, God is a holy God. And when he expects obedience and he gives direction, he doesn't like cut slack there. Do you understand, church? Please hear this. Grace doesn't mean we don't do what he says. Grace means that you're not dead when you do it wrong. Follow that, man. You need to hear that. All right? So that's what grace is. Grace means the fire's not going to show up today. Thank God. Or we might have a massive fire going on in this building. <laughs> okay. So... Let's see again. We're looking. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eliezer and Ithamar, do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. You're not allowed to grieve for your brothers who are now dead because God did this. It's judgment. Listen to what he said. You're not showing any grief at all. If you do, you will die. And the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn because of the Lord's fiery destruction of Anadab and Abihu. But you must not leave the entrance of the tabernacle or you will die. For you have been anointed with the Lord's anointing oil. So they did as Moses commanded. Aaron's two sons are dead. He knew they were destroyed by God because of their disobedience. And God said, you're not shedding a tear. You're standing at the doorway of my house. And you're going to show all these people who I am. And that I mean business. This is not a game. This is not something you just do part time. This isn't something that you just show up with what you like and, and you don't show up when you don't like it. Are you following me, church? I mean, God's like, look, this is real. He's not only teaching Aaron and his existing sons that God means business. He's showing the whole nation like, I mean business. Wake up. Don't think you can do it your way, and he's okay with it. Church, don't think you can do this your own way, and he's okay with it. He gave his life for you and I 
to live a different life. Should be a few more amens to that. That's the word of God. He's holy. He is just. And he expects obedience. He's God. Okay, so we're worshiping, we're serving, and we're in relationship with that same God. You do know that, right? I mean, we're all good on this. This isn't like a different God now. He didn't like take on a new personality because Jesus died on the cross. He's the same God. And we need to understand that this is the God that is being revealed to us. And there's a reason the Old Testament still exists. God didn't say, okay, now there's a new covenant, throw that away and only read the New Testament. We're supposed to see the fullness of who God is and understand that he is God and he is doing something right now where he expects you and I to live in full obedience to who he is and what he wants. Some of us hearing me today know very well that you have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you about something specific in your life. And you're still owning grace over it and not doing a thing about what God's already talked to you about. Seriously, right? I mean, we're like, just because the fire hasn't come doesn't mean God's not okay. I mean, that God's okay with you not doing what he says. And so we're like owning the grace and he understands. And we say things like, well, God knows who I am. He understands me. He understands the struggle. Yes, he does. That's why he died. So that we could have the power of God inside of us so that we could be transformed and have victory over those things that God says you can't live that way anymore. Amen. See, God wants you to change. He wants me to change. And the only way we can change is through surrender. Give it up. And that we just kind of continue to do things our own way, expecting His grace to just let us slide. And pretty soon we don't hear about it anymore because we've just ignored it long enough that there's a callous inside of us where we don't even hear the Holy Spirit dealing with that anymore, so we think we're okay. <laughs> it's a grace callous. No, that's not biblical. That's just something I'm saying to you right now, okay? I'm saying like God's talking, 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 and pretty soon we have a deaf ear that way. And now we don't hear that. He hasn't changed his mind. <laughs> he knows you. And he knows why he's dealing with you right where he is dealing with you. And you can't ignore it. It's time to step into everything God is dealing with you about in your life, church. We're going to, like, as quickly as possible, glance at this one element. Now, I thought about reading you the entire chapter of Leviticus 16. Um, for real. I mean, I was reading it and reading it and reading it. And, and so instead of, like, because... We may get confused, and you might even get confused with me talking to you, so you can read Leviticus 16 later on today or this week. But the reason I wanted us to look at Leviticus 16 is because on one day of year in the old law, there was that day of atonement where the high priest would enter the most holy place, and it only happened that one time in the year to offer sacrifice for the entire nation himself, the congregation, and the entire nation of Israel. And it was one time per year, that holy of holy place with the detailed carvings on the wall, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, uh, the cup of manna, all that stuff was in there. 
and only one time per year. And what it, God said was, the mercy seat was the top of the ark. So let's just look at a box right here, kind of. And it had two angels on it with the wings pointed forward to each other. And then the commandments were down here, and this thing that was here was the mercy seat and the very presence of God. It's called the Shekinah glory. So God's presence dwelt above that box in that most holy place. All right, so get that picture right here and listen to what happens now. So here it is, the Day of Atonement. Everybody in the nation is taking a fast. It's one of the only national fasts. It is the only national fast that God ordered was for the Day of Atonement. So the entire nation is fasting before God. Aaron does his normal uh, priestly duties of making sacrifices in his priestly robes. So this is really cool. See, the robes that the priest wore were really fancy, jeweled, uh, very colorful and, and beautiful. And God wanted them to be seen among the people for who they were when they were out among the people as God's anointed and called, right? It's important that you hear that. So here's Aaron doing his normal morning sacrifices. And after completing this, God says, now for the day of atonement, go take that fancy stuff off and hang it up. You're going to wear this clothing when you come into my presence. And he gave them nothing but a white linen. Now just get this in your head. Think about this. There's this presentation to people about the chosen and the holy of God, and then that same thing that is viewed as the mediator between us, now when it comes into the presence of God, there's nothing there. Plain, simple, and white. He says, now take that stuff off, put this garment on right now. And um, before you do that, make sure you wash. By the way, they threw that garment away and made a new one every year because they couldn't bring that old one back into the presence of God. So here it is. He's washed. He puts on that garment. And these that God had told him to do, and you'll see a little bit more about that in Exodus 28 and 39. So Aaron has a bull for his own sin offering and his family. And he has two male goats for the people's sin offering. So before Aaron can even come in there for the people, first he has to deal with himself and his own family. So he offers a bull as a sacrifice before God for himself and his family, and he brings that into the presence of God. And as he does, he brings that before the Lord. Before he enters into, not just like we're talking about, remember this is the holy place, and then there's the Holy of Holies, and there's a curtain here and a door back there to get into the holy places there. Then he comes into the Holy of Holies, which is that one time of year during this time that he would be there. There's a, a veil right here, right? So now he has to come in, and he's bringing the blood in, but he also had to bring like forth a cloud of incense into that place. So he has to put the incense going because the smoke needed to burn up as a sweet smell before God. But also, it was kind of like, you know how um, a bee person like smokes the hive so he can get the honey? Like it kind of does something like, like It's kind of get that in your head with the incense. So now inside of that place, because that incense burners right out there, it burns and fills this place. So when Aaron walks in, he's not struck 
with the glory of God's presence, with the fullness of God. There's like a cloud, like our little haze machine up here that was kind of keeping that glory of God a little bit dimmed down because in his flesh, there's no way he could handle it. And he brings that blood and he sprinkles it in the, on that mercy seat. And he's like, God, forgive me and my family. And then he leaves. Man, it's like so amazing. After he sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat, he comes out and they've cast lots. There's two goats right there. And they choose one for the sacrifice and one as the scapegoat. God's plan is amazing. The goat for the slaughter is the goat for the people's sin offering. And it would be sacrificed and its blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and once again applied to the mercy seat for the nation, for the people's sin, just like the blood of the bull had been done for his own. Cleansing was made in the holy place as well because of all the sacrifices and things that had been happening through the year. The blood of that goat, that time right there, is also sprinkled around within the holy place. No other priest was present. No one could be in the room. No one could observe this moment where the blood is applied for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation. Aaron comes back out. There's a handler for that other goat. Has it on like a leash. Brings that goat before Aaron. Aaron comes to that goat, lays his hands upon its head, and he begins to confess the sins of the nation. <laughs> the handler takes it, takes it outside the camp, releases it, and drives it into the wilderness. And God gives us that message and saying, like, I am removing your sins from you. And that's where that term scapegoat comes from. And now you know why Satan uses the goat as his symbol. Because the sins of the people were placed upon it. That goat was never to be returned. And oftentimes they would drive it into a place where it would be killed as well. Aaron then returns to the tent of meeting, takes off the linen garments once again, puts on his normal priestly garments, the burnt offering of the rams, the one for the Aaron and his family, the bull, and the other sacrifice for the people are now offered on the burnt altar of sacrifice, which was already sprinkled with the blood. And that stuff is burned up now and offered before God. The full fat and all the things. God determined what he wanted burnt there, and the rest of it was taken outside the camp and buried. Those who had did all those things, the one that led the goat out, the one that takes the other stuff outside the camp, God says, don't you dare come back into the camp until you wash yourself. Don't have any of that stuff return with you. I want a clean and cleansed people. When you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will find 
how detailed God was in so many things as he gave the sacrificial system. What I just explained to you was one day of the year, one sacrifice. The sacrifices they offered were a daily thing, not that one. I'm not talking about that one specifically, but there were sacrifices for so many things every day that they had to bring before God. And so I want us to stop and look at that and just process the reality of all that God required for that one day of atonement and what that meant. And we... Sitting here today in this season of grace, have lost the perspective of the holiness, the detailedness, and the awe of the God we serve. We have, church. He's holy. He wants us to understand that his people are to be holy. And he expects us to step into the truth of who he is and what he's told us that we're supposed to live life. So we're going to jump over into this new covenant season and some amazingly good news. You know this is called the good news. You do know that, right? That story of Jesus. Here's good news. You don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to do those things anymore. The good news is this amazing gift of God has given us a glimpse of how holy he is, how sinful people are, and what it requires to even come into his presence. And now he's like, now check this out. Look who I am. Look at how amazing I am. And look at the love that I have for you. Hebrews chapter 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers, would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Oh, do you see the difference now, church? Do you hear that? For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in scriptures. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look... I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Hallelujah, man. (laughs) 
Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Holy Spirit, let that sink into us, man. A huge praise to God for Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you and I. Yeah, offer it up to him, church, seriously. Another huge, I said huge and that was weak. Another huge praise that we live in the day of the new covenant. Yeah. Thank you, God. (laughs) Catch this last line here. Would you listen to this again? But you don't have to give a huge praise first. I want you to hear it. A huge praise is deserved to our God that by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Did you hear the context of that? How God sees us holy, and at the same time, we're being made holy? Did you follow that? That is amazing. See, what God just showed us in church, this is something I don't think we're getting too much in the New Testament church of today. That God does see us holy. And the Holy Spirit is actually making us holy. So we are being made while God sees us what we're being made. So the truth of that is this, church. See, we can't ignore what the Holy Spirit is talking to us about because the Holy Spirit is actually making us holy. And so when we ignore that and we say no to God or we negotiate or we bank on grace, we are not obeying him in being made holy. Right? I'm not reading in anything. I'm looking at what God says to us right here. We're being made. How are we being made? By allowing him to live and me to die. Right? The death of me, the life of God. All right? So if God's going to live, then God's holy. Therefore, he's expecting me to be holy because it's him now living in me, not me now living in me. So there has to be a continual death of self so that there's more of God seen. So I am being made holy. I am not yet obtaining that fullness of the holiness, but I am being made holy. And God, in his amazing love for us and grace, sees me holy. Woo, that blows my mind. You, can you own that? I mean, think about that. The creator, of the one that made all these requirements has chosen through his own sacrifice to see us holy. In other words, acceptable to God. Allowed in his presence. This is the significance of all this. When we see Jesus dying on the cross, and the word of God declares to us that there was an earthquake and a veil in the temple 
split from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom, for it was a work of God, not of man. And God himself split that veil and said, now you are all welcome to come through the one high priest, Jesus Christ, in divine Mary presence. Whoa. Man, the blood has been applied. You get it? Man, when we come before God to receive salvation, the very blood of Christ is sprinkled over our lives and we are made holy and the sin is removed. It's not covered. Church, it's not covered. The sin doesn't exist in me anymore. It's removed by the blood of Christ. If all we needed is a covering, we could have done that with animals. You follow me? See, so many of us are still trying to own the sin under the blood. No, that didn't work. God said so. Why are we owning the sin under the blood when the blood has been applied to make us new? When the power of God now lives in us, would God do what we're doing? Would God talk like we talk? Then stop it. He's a holy God. He's called us to be a holy people. He's amazing, isn't he? (laughs) Hebrews 9, that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on that table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was a second room called the most holy place. And that room where God, where a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone of tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory. Those wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. But these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect until they only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which is not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured Our redemption forever. Yeah. (laughs) I tell you what, you want to talk about good news? There's some good news for us, church. (laughs) Man, I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, God, you know, here we are. Here we are. 
the Holy Spirit's like all over us right here, right? He's like, here I am. I am God, and I am present, and I am the one that is speaking to you. If you're conviction, if you're feeling and experiencing conviction of sin in your life, and your need of Jesus as your Savior, because He's the only one, you need Him today. We call people to come to the altar because, man, you need to step up and step out and surrender to Him and just acknowledge who He is, and that altar's open. If you know Him as your Savior, and maybe you've been abusing the grace of God, and you know that God's talking to you about something about being changed and made holy, would you please come and just surrender to Him in that thing right now? Come on, church. He loves you. He loves me. He desires this for us. Thank God the fire's not coming today. (laughs) He's giving us this opportunity and this moment in our lives to say yes to him, to allow him to do this amazing work in us that only he can do because all that outside stuff doesn't work. (laughs) Only God can do the inside work. Only God And it's God that can and will and desires to do that work in us to be made holy. (laughs) Father, we love you. We're so grateful, God. We're so humbled. We're so in awe that you would ever (laughs) offer this to me. (laughs) Oh, God. you want, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Whatever you want. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when we come before him in these moments, um, He's still not looking for us to earn this forgiveness thing or to do what he says. He's simply here to say, are you ready? And when we say yes, he's like, okay, let's go. He's ready to do it that fast. It's not something we beg for, have to earn. Isn't it amazing that he just says, freely I give. I'm right here. I'll do this in you and for you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Church, thank you for being in his house today. Thank you for worshiping him. He loves you. Let's be his church as we get out there in this world, okay? God bless you. Thanks for being here today. You guys stay and pray as long as you need to. He loves you.